Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. I am Patrick Darty. It is our Week Nine recap show. Uh, the entire Sunday slate will be broken down in great detail here. That includes the Vikings' 31 to 28 triumph over Arthur Smith's spiraling Atlanta Falcons, the Eagles outlasting the Cowboys in a critical NFC East divisional tilt, and the Browns with their first shutout since 2007. And a horrifying matchup that quite literally everyone saw coming from Clayton Toons, Cardinals. Denny, they were not competitive, and that's the big reveal. I'm joined here by Denny Carter to talk <laughs> these first three games. And uh, Denny, how are you doing? We're not going to riff, but how are you doing? You have three seconds to answer that. I'm mostly doing fine, but not okay. But you're, you're not okay? Um, <laughs> that's because it takes you no pleasure to report our magazine star, uh, Tony Pollard's Jover. But we're actually going to get to that in just a minute. We'll start with the Falcons, or I think the most tweeted about subject on Sunday was Arthur Smith. Yeah. Our man's be spiraling. Uh, it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse for Arthur Smith. Uh, you know, like this like hell of his own creation. It it's is. been a while since someone has said like this elaborate hell of their own creation. It, it is. He Arthur really Smith. is. He could just stop posting, but he decides to keep posting. And what I mean by that is – he decides to make B. John Robinson like the the one B in this backfield uh, today against the Vikings. Robinson had 11 carries to 12 carries for Algier. And you might think, OK, but hey, hey, Tyler Algier obviously had the hot hand. I'm here to tell you that he didn't. OK, he had negative total yards coming into the fourth quarter. Algier did. Okay. At halftime, Denny, he had five touches for negative 13 yards. Na- we can't emphasize this enough. The The yards were below zero for Algier. <laughs> and for Arthur Smith, it literally didn't matter. They had a they had a drive, Pat, late in the fourth quarter, right, where they, they took the lead with an Algier touchdown. They ran the ball 12 straight times. Unless unless I'm mistaken, unless I missed something, I do not believe B. John Robinson saw one of those carries. I mean, he so, might have, but it's just like too. I'm glad, by the way, that people are finally seeing through like Arthur Smith's yes. real fantasy football straw man. Like, I, maybe the fantasy yeah. players care. I mean, no one on this team cares. And it seems like most of the real reporters are pointing out that it is indeed a straw man because this is a game where your number one receiver is out. You are making a quarterback change and you used a top eight overall pick on a three right. down running back. If you're not going to commit to them in this game, 
Like, when are you ever going to do it? Why are you not doing it? It's like you said, just complete inefficiency from Tyler Algier, who, again, none of this is about Tyler Algier, who's like a perfectly fine player. He's probably one of the 15 or 16 best running backs in the NFL. Wow. But if this pivot was ever going to come and had to come today, it did not come. I, I really are just like kind of at a yeah. loss. So, I mean, j- just so folks are clear, like B. John Robinson is playing most of the snaps in the backfield. He played 42 snaps out of 70 total snaps for the Falcons. Uh, Tyler Algier had 24 snaps today, but Algier's seeing the ball on, on, you know, a more concentrated share of those snaps. He, um, he, ha- he also had three targets along with Bijan. Bijan had one catch. So I I I really do feel like Bijan's uh, fantasy upside is is just firmly capped in this role. It, it, I wish I had a counter take to that. There is just no counter take to it right now because this usage has been pretty sticky for four or five weeks. Um, to yeah. say nothing of the headache game, it's a good Week Ten matchup. They're playing the Arizona Cardinals, uh, who are a bad defense. It might actually put up a fight if Kyler Murray's back. So maybe they'll actually have to like play competitive football the Falcons, but yeah, I mean, we've reached just firmly. We're going to have to believe it when we see it with Bijan Robinson. And it seems like Art Smith uh, never wants to see it. I'm sure the Falcons front office is, you know, super psyched about using a top eight pick on a I mean, when you give control to a coach like Arthur Smith, you have to know what you're getting. I'm sure they know. So speaking of Arthur Smith, one thing you know you're getting is endless tight end targets. As I mentioned, Drake London out of, for this game, Kaderil Hodge, Van Jefferson dominating snaps and routes in the receiver core, but they're sub-replacement level talents. Jonah Smith, though, quote, went off. Kyle Pitts, uh, <laughs> vaguely usable box score. Yeah. What do we tell people about the un- unending tight end obsession? Yeah. from? Right. So, I mean, yeah, j- just so everyone understands, I mean, this is an offense that revolves around the tight end position. Uh, 35% target share, two tight ends. For the Falcons, that is the highest in the league by far. The next team, next closest team is the Cardinals at 30%. So uh, John Smith and Kyle Pitts can, can benefit from this. And Kyle Pitts had a fine stat line, I think five for 57. Um, but John Smith had a long 61-yard catch and run. Uh, and that resulted in a 100-yard game and a touchdown. Um Kyle Pitts ran more routes, so hey, you know you yeah. got that going for you if you if you started Pitts. Uh, but Smith, I think John Smith, it seems to be the clear focal point of that tight end duo. Oh, that seems a little strong, but no, it does. Uh, it does seem it seems weird, but yeah, I mean, John Smith saw a goal line carry today. Oof, that's um, right, I forgot about that. Uh, Kyle Pitts was used as a blocker on the John Smith touchdown. So I mean I think the 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 really the goal is for this offense to revolve around John Smith and Tyler Algier. I think that 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 really is is what's going on here. It sounds like a bit, but it's not a bit. And yeah, you know, it seems real. I know that Jonah Smith outproduces Kyle Pitts literally every week, Denny. But it seems yeah. strong when you say that he's the full <laughs> this tight end room. And it doesn't seem right to me. That sounds real strong. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just, we're out of words for Arthur yeah. Smith. It, it sounds wrong for sure. And I should, I, I just want to make sure I know Pep mentioned a second ago, Drake London was out with a groin injury. So you had uh, Van Jefferson seeing some targets, five targets or something. Didn't do anything with them. Uh, uh, what's his face? The other, the other. Daryl Hodge, Mac Collins. Well, Mac Collins left the game with a, with some sort of ankle injury. 
uh, Hodge actually, uh, so the, here's something we could have, would have been helpful to know. Uh, Taylor Heineke told the, the crew, the, the Fox crew here that, uh, he felt most comfortable throwing to Hodge, um, who ran 29 routes on 42 dropbacks and saw six targets more than, uh, anyone in the offense. So really? Hodge, you know, Hodge could be interesting. We'll see. Real, real cool stuff. Arthur Smith on the Josh McDaniels train to nowhere, Denny. This game was flipped on its head real early. Jaron Hall making his first career start. The 25-year-old fifth-round rookie got concussed on just a massive hit at the goal line. And I I thought even on short notice, Josh Dobbs gave the Vikings their best chance to win this game. They were not planning on inserting him. He apparently, per the post-game reports, took zero reps with the first team offense still didn't know like the play call names. Yep. They were translating them in real time. <laughs> he comes in, completes 20 of 30, 20 of 30 passes for 158 yards, two touchdowns. He kept TJ Hawkinson PPR relevant. He kept Jordan Addison as relevant as he could a scoreless five catches for 52 yards. What are realistic expectations for this offense with Josh Dobbs, who is undoubtedly going to remain the starter a tough matchup for week 10 against the Saints uh, high-end pass defense. I think worth mentioning that Josh Dobbs is probably going to end up as a top three fantasy option this week um, and because he had a rushing touchdown and uh, like 50 yards on the ground. Uh, I think Josh Dobbs showed, look, for a guy who was with the team for 25 minutes before kickoff, who didn't even know the plays, Okay, and it was rough early on in this game. He was sacked for a safety. Like, he clearly didn't know what was going on. They were having to basically run the ball on every play for a while. I mean, he was trying to learn the playbook as he played. Okay. It's not a bit by Denny. He said that after the game, that he was learning the playbook as he he played. He's an extremely bright, extremely smart guy. Okay, that's like his reputation in the league. And he showed it today. And I do do think – I mean, Jaron Hall was was actually – was fine you know i mean he he wasn't disastrous by any means but i think dobbs has the job now and 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 i think that he can keep hawkinson afloat hawkinson with a 33 percent target share addison with a 19 percent share so kind of like business as usual in that in that regard uh i i do think addison should be fine as long as jefferson is out jefferson comes back i think it's a different story for addison but hey Hawkinson's going to keep up this scam you you can bank on that the Justin Jefferson thing with the Vikings stealing a game, they probably should not have won. Uh, should not have won. Excuse me. I can conjugate. I can conjugate. Uh-huh. It makes things maybe a little more interesting for Justin Jefferson, who is eligible to return in week 10. There's been very little indication. Justin Jefferson actually is going to return week 10. Everyone, all parties have been very cagey. The team, Justin yeah. Jefferson, the media seems to have no lean on it, but stealing this game, keeping the Vikings season relevant, Keeping the door like to the playoffs ever so slightly ajar open. This makes everything a little more interesting, including Justin Jefferson maybe coming back. But uh, I don't even know where I was going with that. Yeah. Um, just talking. Yeah. No, I, I, and I think you, Josh Dobbs next week uh, against the Cardinals, correct? Yeah. No, it's uh, much tougher. It's the Saints. The Saints. New, New Orleans Saints. Well, yeah. I, I do. I do think Josh Jobs is uh, rushing makes him interesting for, for it does. One, one quarterback leagues. So. And they're going to need his rushing because Cam Akers appears to have retorn his Achilles tendon, kind of returning this to maybe not a one man backfield. Alexander Madison, they'll probably get Ty Chandler more involved. Finally, how high is too high for Alexander Madison? I mean, 
no way he's probably outside of the top 18 with right. how dire their touches need is correct does that sound right yeah to you i mean yeah today he uh madison had 16 carries for 44 yards uh so a, a stellar 2.7 yards per carry uh he still has not scored a rushing touchdown this year which is amazing That's he did catch nearly amazing yeah, he caught he, he caught his third touchdown of the season uh, t- uh, today against Falcons. Uh, two of he caught both of his targets for forty nine yards and a, and a touchdown. You know he's he's somewhat involved in the passing game. I mean he led the the backfield and routes again, which is kind of par for the course. Uh, you know I, Madison with the state of the running back position, I think you know you just plug in Madison. You you hope that he kind of stumbles into a touchdown and and with Acres out. Um, I, I do think that, that Madison gets a boost from that. You know, I think Ty Chandler's probably better, but obviously it doesn't matter. You know, is it like the, the, the Vikings are all in. They're, all, they're completely invested in the Madison empire, yeah. and they're going to keep going with it. I would take a free waiver wire flyer on Ty Chandler, but he will not be remotely startable for week 10 and probably not for several weeks to come. Uh, speaking of the running game, Denny, I had a better segue than that, but I forgot it while you were talking. We're moving on to Tony Pollard, yeah, who just refuses to produce. 12 carries, 51 scoreless <laughs> yards. And kind of like a pseudo shootout <laughs> with the Eagles. They have three catches for 12 yards. You can't stop tweeting about it. And people can't <laughs> stop tweeting at you with our magazine cover and trying to blow our blow our cover uh, here. But kidding aside, yeah. it's this the miserable beat rolls on for Tony Pollard. What what is going on? Yeah. The guy that we should have be in theory a top five RB1. I mean, if you were to look at like his usage, you know, just that like inside the 10 stuff, like the, the routes, the targets, you're like, okay, all right. So you just showed me these stats. You're asking me, where is Tony Pollard in the fantasy pecking order? I would say RB three and he's not. Okay. Um, It's been, Pat, it's been 118 touches since Tony Pollard last scored a touchdown. Man, man, oh man, oh man. I mean, it it makes you want to just try to find religion because you don't, you you realize you don't understand the universe, you know, (laughs) you know, and and it's scary. It scares me. It's it's very scary out there. Even, even as a, even as a guy who, who, you know, wasn't super, super into Pollard in the preseason. And I I just, I, I actually can't believe it. And you, you were like, you're right it's he's stubborn about it you know you're like okay like bad game script this is all you tony like you're going to get 15 dump offs good game script this is all you you're going to get 25 touches even game script like today neutral this is it no it just doesn't it just doesn't happen it doesn't happen even though there's no one still stealing work rico doddle is out there for like two or three touches a game but He's not bleeding work to anyone else. I mean, he's bleeding work, I guess, to the passing game today. 44 Dak Prescott attempts. But yeah, he's been concerningly unexplosive, as we've laid out on a few other podcasts, not popping the eye test, and just that maybe uh, we underestimated his return from that very, very serious yeah. leg fracture. So Again, and since he's not losing any work, you still keep him like top 12 to 15. Because I, I think even if he's not explosive – the offense that he's in with the touches, he's still hand. I think regression is going to hit hard at some point. And mm-hmm. they play the, the non-competitive giants in week 10, by the way. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. And then the Panthers and then the commanders and the Seahawks. He's got a He's got a regression slate coming up here. I will say, but sure. So I, I think you can reasonably argue regression, but you can also just reasonably argue uh, that. Yeah. He's already botched a lot of good setups. 
and then maybe it really isn't coming and we have to adjust expectations. My my interns have actually threatened to go on strike. If I mentioned Tony Pollard in the regression files again this week, uh, I believe them. I believe Uh, not just the interns. It's also some very well-dressed lawyers. (laughs) That cannot happen again. This simply cannot happen again. Jake Ferguson (laughs) happened again. Danny seven catches 91 yards and a touchdown for the Dallas Cowboys is Fergie. A tight end one at a really, really bad yep. position. Absolutely. Yes, we are all in on Ferguson as uh, – or Fergie, as the kids are calling him, uh, as a tight end one. Seven, seven catches on 10 targets today, 91 yards and a touchdown. Uh, first of all, the Eagles are a good matchup for tight ends. Let's just file file that one away. Okay, let's – going forward, let's start our tight ends against against the Eagles. The, the, the guys talked about that on the Fantasy Football Happy Hour this week, and – I, I actually did listen. I played a lot of Ferguson in the DFS, so that felt pretty good. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he's out there running a, a ton of routes, like 80 to 90% of the routes in this offense. And hey, you know what? The run game is so ineffective for Dallas that they've actually, they're turning more toward the pass. And that's great for a guy like Ferguson. It is. As you mentioned, Dak Prescott hot streak. It's coincided with actually competitive games. Well, the Rams game wasn't really competitive, actually. Uh, no, but Dak Prescott, seven touchdowns over his past two starts. Had a good game a few weeks ago against the Chargers. Didn't translate to a big box score. But yeah, they're passing a lot more. They need to pass a lot more. We're, I think we're getting the return of maybe the weird Cowboys in Week 10, though, because like you said, it's the Giants. And, ooh, oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, boy. A, that, that's a potentially very weird game. They're playing the Giants, then they're playing the Commanders. He of the two pick sixes, Bryce Young, excuse me, the Panthers. Then they're playing the Commanders. So we could get, be getting the return of these insane Cowboys game scripts. So I guess everything we just said might not be instructive since they're just going to score three defensive touchdowns each of the next three weeks. Nevertheless. <laughs> yeah. CeeDee Lamb, Alfing, by the way. Yeah. Back to back games. But again, we have no idea what they're going to actually ask of this offense in week 10 against the Giants. Eagles side of the ball. I mean, did you see anything interesting? The Eagles have been very, very status quo this year. Yeah. Um, right down to we thought there might be backfield shenanigans after they changed up stuff on the fly early in the season. But DeAndre Swift's role has been sticky. A.J. Brown's role has been extremely sticky. Devontae Smith's role has been sticky. Mm-hmm. Even Dallas Goddard has been producing on a consistent basis lately. He was hurt Sunday. That looked like maybe a potentially serious arm injury yeah. or – it was hard to tell. It looked like it could be bad or it looked like it could be nothing. He did not. I think it looked bad. I think I think we should expect him to miss some time. Yeah. Uh, well, that's bad. Uh, I mean, yeah. he was he was looking at his arm like what the heck just happened? He, yeah, I didn't really like the way he was looking at his arm. No, I um, mean, I'm I'm no doctor, I, but I know when a guy looks at his arm like that, I know what it probably means and it probably means what why did why won't my arm move? Oh, man. Wow. Oh, is that too dark? Did I yeah, get too it's pretty dark? dark. You already said you don't understand the universe. And they're like, why doesn't my body work? <laughs> I mean, I he, it didn't look, whatever yeah. happened there didn't look right. That's all no, I know. It did not look right. You know what was not right? Was starting Clayton Toon against the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> the best defense in the NFL. Who could have possibly seen this coming except for everyone? The Cardinals had 58 yards of total offense. Their fewest since they were the Chicago Cardinals oh, in 1955, God. not even the St. Louis Cardinals. It was all the way back to the Chicago Cardinals days. Two awful picks, a lost fumble, totally non-instructive for the Cardinals going forward because we yeah, think right. that finally Kyler Murray 
is going to make his 2023 debut in week 10 against Arthur Smith's extremely down bad Falcons. Hard to know what to say about the Cardinals after that because this game just goes immediately in the dumpster. Deshaun Watson, first start since week seven. First game he actually finished since week three. Uh, Jerome Ford, 25 carries after getting removed from the injury report this week. Kareem Hunt, 14 touches. Mari Cooper, big day, blah, blah, blah. Anything you'd like to know about this game, Denny? Um, from the Cardinal side, not really. I mean, I think the, you have a good point, and you know, don't, don't worry about whatever happened with Marquise Brown or Michael Wilson or uh, McBride. Yeah, Trey McBride. That was so. Fantasy managers will be concerned about Trey McBride. Three catches for twenty-two yards. You probably did have to actually invest some fab in him. He wasn't like a free waiver claim. We we're all talking about Trey McBride. They love to right. target the tight end. But you couldn't start him this week because he's Clayton Toon. Was well, I mean, I did. St- I thankfully I wanted to jam him in there in a league, and thankfully I took him out for Cole, Cole Comet. Cole Comet Nation. Oh. Um, wow. So yeah, nice. that was would have been a major blunder. But yeah, try not to worry about the, the tough Trey McBride day. It would be shocking if it were not Kyler Murray. We, I, I have kind of lost track of what the Cardinals' Kyler Murray intentions are. It is a little opaque. But my guess is that he will be starting in Week Ten against the Falcons. Yeah, and Trey McBride will be uh, more trustable. But yeah, any questions about the Browns? Yeah. Yes, I do. Uh, how did the Cleveland backfield break down? Because every time I saw that game come on Red Zone, another Browns running back was seeing the ball. So how did how did it go? 25 Jerome Ford touches, 14 Kareem Hunt touches. Kareem Hunt seemed to maybe be like the short yardage specialist. He got the only goal line carry. He converted it for a touchdown. But Jerome Ford, he was removed off the injury report, and he seemed to decisively return to 1A status. Like he didn't lose his job when he got hurt. 25 touches obviously speaks for itself. I think he almost doubled up Kareem Hunt's snaps. So they still seem to have faith in Jerome Ford. Horribly inefficient with 20 carries for 44 yards, five catches for only 33 yards. But you kind of chalk that up to like these these weren't runs to like win a football game. They were runs to end a football game right? because it was right. not competitive. Like they were just keeping the clock rolling. The Cardinals knew what was going on. Not that like Jerome Ford like looked explosive or anything. He did not. But even – it just says it's hard to have takeaways for the Cardinals. It's a little hard to have like sweeping takeaways for the Browns and from a production standpoint, but from a usage standpoint, it, it was enough to, for me to be like, okay, Jerome Ford is still the one a when he's okay. healthy. And it's not even necessarily a hot hand thing. Like he's just the one a, uh, and then on the, on the, on the receiving side, I know Amari Cooper had a, had a nice day. Uh, I, I may have seen you mention that Sean Watson's arm was not looking too strong. Did that, did that change at all? Or how, how did that look? It wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't look like a bad NFL arm. It just didn't look like Houston to Sean Watson. Still, okay. Who really never missed throws down the field. He missed a few throws. He didn't miss two throws to Amari Cooper. I would be remiss not to mention that 49 and 59 yard completions to Amari Cooper. There were genuine deep balls hit in stride. That was promising. There are a few that were more like disappointing, like 50-50 type balls that were like too winnable. Uh, they weren't picked off, though. Uh, the touchdown to Amari Cooper was a total fluke. It was probably, yeah. honestly, maybe Deshaun Watson's worst throw of the day. He just rifled it into a defender's helmet, but like <laughs> exploded up in the air and then landed harmlessly in Amari Cooper's arms. Okay. He was able to score a touchdown. So it wasn't a perfect day. The way I would, I would sum up Deshaun Watson – is that he was not a liability against the Cardinals. 
but he's going to have to be a lot more of a strength in week 10 when they're playing the Ravens who are playing defense almost as well as the Browns are right now. And it, it looked like a, a, it was a matchup to build on, but still not a $260, $260 million quarterback performance from Deshaun Watson. You know what? He takes care of business against bad teams. That's what you can, you can say. He does. Sure. And so yeah, the Ravens a much better team for week 10. Yeah. Anything else there? No, uh, David and Joku score for the second time in two weeks. His floor, he seems to have established a four catch, 40 yard floor. The okay. touchdown should be more free flowing with Deshaun Watson under center than PJ Walker. That's kind of famous last words of David and Joku. Now David and Joku is going to start producing. <laughs> then, uh, I mean, he's still, he's still pretty touchdown dependent, right? He is, but the usage floor is a little better than it was earlier in the season. A little better than has been some of these David and Joku seasons. I feel like you can kind of bank four for 40. And then if you got like almost 50, 50 touchdown odds, I, I, he's pretty locked into the tight end eight to 12 range. I would say. I should say, as far as the backfield route running goes, uh, PFF has Jerome Ford uh, with 20 routes on 34 dropbacks for the Browns. Uh, Kareem Hunt with six. So the big gap there. Yeah, big, big gap. So uh, not a big gap between. Yeah, there's no segue there. Um, Danny no. Carter, um, <laughs> thank you so much for talking. Vikings, Falcons, Eagles, Cowboys. You'll be all over our NBC, pro- NBC properties this week. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Pat. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. We now welcome in Kyle Dvorak to talk about the Chiefs and Dolphins in Germany. CJ Stroud's literally historic performance against the Bucks. He's going to ask me about the Ravens steamrolling the Seahawks. We're going to touch on the Packers and Rams. Kind of like non-instructive game heading forward where Matthew Stafford did not play. The Rams are going on by. We'll begin in Germany, though, Kyle, where the Chiefs, they're making a habit of smashing the under. I believe the total is 50 and a half in this game. We didn't even come close and no point. Did the over feel threatened? Not a compelling offensive game. No chief had more than 34 yards receiving. To a tag of a low up, I thought was kind of missing a lot of throws. The Dolphins' run game looked really disjointed to me for the second or third straight week. Where do you think is a good spot, spot to start there? These are two teams that are supposed to be carrying fantasy managers. Maybe not the Chiefs at this point in their pass catchers, but we did not get the fantasy production we needed out of this game. What went wrong? I mean, we can talk about how I thought we were close. The first, the opening drive, Kansas City just marches right down, scores, gets called back by a penalty. Screw it. Let's score again. This one goes to Rasheed Rice, a really nice screen to beat the blitz that uh, the Miami defense had dialed up. And it looked like, you know, at that point, I see the Chiefs immediately drive down and score. And I think we've, you know, we got it. I woke up early for a great game. (laughs) And in the end, the next drives, 
uh, resulted in, I'll just count them off, punt, 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 punt. Maybe one more if I didn't count correctly. And then the Chiefs finally get on the board. And then to further make the game strange, a fumble touchdown from Tyreek Hill, a fumble that was recovered by the Chiefs. And I guess at least this part of it was fun. I, I it was Mike Edwards to Brian Cook, I believe, if I remember correctly. Tyreek Hill fumbles. The the actual validity of the fumble was a bit questionable. He caught. I'll be it honest. I didn't think it. it was a fumble. Like I don't know if he ever like fully possessed it. I, he moved several feet. Yeah. So I, I didn't, Tyreek Hill like a, a negative five eight dot uh, behind behind the line of scrimmage ball. It's in his gut, and it kind of just looks like the defender's helmet and body pin it to his body as yes, he's being dragged exactly. backwards. I, it's it's hard to rule it either way. It's a funny play though, because then I think that defender was like Mike Edwards, if I remember correctly, strips it and gets it, gets tackled, and then flips it to another Chiefs, I believe, safety, and he house calls it. That play was at least fun. But at that point, twenty one nothing. I mean, twenty one nothing. Essentially, going into halftime, that was just outside of halftime. The game already. I mean, twenty one nothing is a pretty unbeatable deficit. The Dolphins could do it, but it's pretty rare for any team to do it. And at that point, it felt like the Chiefs, to some degree, took their foot off the gas. Maybe that's just looking at the results, saying they definitely did because they scored no points from then on out. And finally, at some point, it looks like Miami starts to wake up. Back-to-back touchdown drives. Another drive starts moving again, but then spirals out of control. Then the end of the game, we reset back to drive one for the Dolphins, where Tua takes, I think it's some, oh, well, Tua has Cedric Wilson wide open, deep left. He's got six yards between him and the next man. And he said after in a press conference, it was Cedric Wilson. He said, uh, he said he and Cedric Wilson just had a miscommunication. I'm guessing he wanted Cedric Wilson to break the route off 10 yards downfield, sit there and let his defender cruise by him. But said knew he had his man beat. So he just kept going. And Tua threw what you would think slipped out of his hand because it was yes. 10 yards away from Tua. I think he just had a pure miscommunication and probably still even a bad throw at that. But uh, and then he loses the snap on fourth down and the game's over outside of two drives. The Dolphins just looked completely out of sorts. And I wouldn't be too concerned with that normally, because for most of their games, they're a well-oiled machine. But this was yet another performance in which they face a good team and they just do not have the juice in that game. All of their big games have come against really bad teams. We have a, a sample of three games of them getting sort of beat up by bad team or by good teams. I don't want to read into it too much, but the splits are becoming very obvious. They are becoming obvious. They don't have a win over like an actually good team yet. I mean, you can maybe count the Chargers in week one, which is a really fun game, a genuine shootout. Well, then it's twice over the Patriots, the 70 to 20, of course, over the Broncos, the Giants, the Panthers. You can't take that away from them, of course, because what do you do when you're a good team? You beat bad teams. But great teams, they also beat other good teams. We need us. And it's tough, though. We're we're probably lucky we got the Dolphins production we did today because their offensive line is still so injured. It's 21 to nothing, a really good Chiefs defense. They were pinning their ears back and making life very, very difficult for Tua. It was promising that they got back in the game at all. We need a signature Dolphins. I mean, we don't need it. They still look like they're going to make the playoffs. They come out of their bye against the Raiders, the Jets, the Commanders, the Titans, the Jets again. They should be in pretty good playoff yeah. position by around Christmas. Uh, they don't get really tested again. and The Jets are big tests. They don't get really tested again until week 16 against the Cowboys. They end the season with the Cowboys, the Ravens, and the Bills. Uh, they're going to need to better have it locked one. up before then. Yeah, they're going to need to have it locked up before then. And then they're going to need to win one of those games if they're going to be any kind of a playoff menace. Uh, the Dolphins running game looks like broken to me too. 
They really need Devin A. Chan back. He is eligible to return in Week 10. Do we have a lean on if he's returning this, or excuse me, after the Dolphins week 10 bye in week 11 against the Raiders? It seems like he's probably back from that from what we've read in the past. Yeah, season, the initial but. reports, I mean, it's been a while since we've got concrete updates on them, but the initial reports were that he would serve his uh, four games on IR and then be ready to come back, probably because it's five games in a practical sense because they get the bye week. So it seems like he'll be back, and I do think that they really need that explosive element because we saw a few good carries very late in the game from Raheem Mostert, but a lot of it early in this game was just two yards and a cloud of dust from Mostert. They finally got him to the edge, and he had something like – 40, I think, or 45 is somewhere in that ballpark of, of his yards came on. Actually, I have right here is 30, 44 of his yards came on the first two plays of the final drive. He's starting to get the juice flowing. But when you are so home run dependent, you will have droughts that last for almost an entire game. It's easier to do that when you say, all right, well, if Mostert is not at full health 100% or if he's just slightly tired, let's throw in a mix-up with A-Chan. Let's throw in these different sort of looks we can do. They don't have that dimensionality, if that's a word, to their run. So I do think it'll help. I, I don't think it's necessary in that Tua just missed some throws in this game. Tyreek Hill had a few difficult drops like he could have had them. They would have been hard, but would have been nice. And then Jalen Waddle like, was clearly banged up. He left, got listed as questionable immediately came back. Thanks for ma making me write two blurbs on that one. <laughs> so they were a little out of sorts. They, uh, you know, could have had things go better for them outside of the run game, but it would certainly help if they have the guy who averages 10 yards carry on the team. Yeah. Jalen Waddle looks stoved up after he came back a real good time for his bye week He looks like he's he needs pretty sore. And then now a transatlantic flight to increase the swelling. I'm sure he's real thrilled about that. They might already be back in America by now, too. So hopefully he's on his road to rest and recovery. I, I'm not even – the Chiefs, just total status quo with receivers. It's Rasheed Rice, the only one even hinting at upside. It was only two catches for 17 yards. I believe it's up to four touchdowns now. But yep. there's just no one here is even startable after Travis Kelsey. And then Rasheed Rice is a wide receiver four. He's not really pushing for wide receiver three status yet. And he might eventually – but I just don't know how you can have Patrick Mahomes and not have a single top 36 receiver. And you pretty much laid it out. They are just getting the minimum amount of eight different guys. But when you pull all those guys together in the aggregate, I guess it sort of works out. But I do think this, this game showed sort of the frailty of that where they scored 14 points on offense. Seven of their points came from the, the fumble recovery touchdown. When you pin all of your hopes on Travis Kelsey, most times that will work out because he's so he's the best tight end of my lifetime. Probably he's not. He's the second best. But if Gronk's, the best. Hopes, Gronk's the best. Gronk's the best. I don't know, best. man. I don't, I don't know. Gronk, he, Gronk is kind of like Sandy Koufax, where well, he doesn't have the longevity. Land on me. The, the, the peak was so absurd with Gronk. The longevity. Travis Kelsey definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. It depends Travis on how you Kelsey, Tony Gonzalez, maybe. Um, but yeah. Anyways, I digress. When you pin all of your hopes on one player. You'll have like that will just happen where a team figures out a way to shut him down or he has a down game. All of these things compound to where you get three for 14 and no touchdowns as Kelsey did this game. I'm not concerned with the offense going forward because Kelsey's good enough. You know, he's Justin Jefferson. He's AJ Brown. He can be the focal point. But when you don't have a single second player who can consistently rely on, you'll hit a you'll hit a soft spot every now and then we're up this game. They just figured us out. Pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, so we got 35 points from the Dolphins and Chiefs, two of the best overall teams in the NFL, two of the best overall offenses. We got 76 from the Houston Texans and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, including, you could argue, the greatest start ever 
by a rookie quarterback. 470 yards for C.J. Stroud is the rookie record. Five touchdowns, a game-winning drive. Just what did you see from C.J. Stroud, who supported huge stat lines for Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz, Tank Dell, a touchdown for Nico Collins? How did he look as good as this box score? I mean, clearly he looked good. Did he look 470 yards, five touchdowns good? Yeah, he looked that good, man. This was uh, from, you know, I haven't watched every rookie to ever play football, but it is the most passing yards. You said it ties him for the most passing touchdowns. He was not intercepted. He didn't take many sacks. He, he took three on 42 attempts, plus a few more uh, dropbacks that would, you know, would be scrambles or something. Actually, he didn't have any scrambles. So maybe just 42 attempts, but either way, three sacks, no interceptions, no fumbles, obviously. Uh, that's it's one of it's one of the best games I've ever seen. I mean, I think it's one of like six games ever for 450 and five touchdowns, no interceptions. He's obviously the only rookie to make that list. He had so many good throws. One of them, uh, I my favorite probably was the Tank Dell setup to the Tank Dell touchdowns, the second to last throw of the game, where like the very obvious thing for a Bucks defense that is pretty good. Like they came in, I think, just around top ten in EPA. Good, play. but Denny Carter keeps pointing out they have become an extreme pass funnel or whatever reason. And boy, did they funnel the pass. <laughs> they funnel. The yeah. yeah. It helps that they're uh, like, they are becoming a pass funnel. And specifically, this is an offense that really hasn't had a problem cutting CJ Stroud loose. And especially in this game, at least it looked like on early downs, they're much more comfortable letting him throw, which that's been sort of the one complaint I've had with this team is that like Stroud looks like a guy who you should treat like Mahomes relative to this team has no chance at running the football. All of their runs look terrible. You should treat that guy like Mahomes, whether or not he's as good. Obviously he's not, but when you get nothing from Singletary, when you get nothing from Pierce, let him throw in first and 10 every single time until the defense proves they can beat you. It's all a little more of that in this game. And it's against a defense. That's not terrible. Like you said, I think they do sort of lean towards teams passing on them, but they're not like a joke of a defense. This is no, yeah, what you expect yeah. to see against like a Broncos week three or whatever, or something like that. And so the second to last play, clearly the, the Bucks defense is just saying we cannot afford to give up a touchdown, which reminds me there's a kicker situation we have to talk about here after this. We do. <laughs> Yeah, we do. There's a kicker situation. We cannot afford to give up a touchdown. We cannot afford to give up chunk plays. There's 30 seconds left. So they are blanketing deep coverage. And Stroud hits within like two inches lower. It's tipped a foot farther. It's out of bounds. A deep left shot to tank Dell where Dell drags both feet in just the perfect throw where I think his margin of error was like less than 2% in any single direction, any single velocity. And that's a play that with, you know, 30 seconds on the clock, you feel like the way the drive was going, it looks like one of the Patrick Mahomes, you left too much time. And you're like, what do you mean? It's there's 30 seconds left. He was playing that dialed in. I think he was five of five or six of six for 75 yards in the final drive. If you throw out one spike, obviously it shouldn't count. It was one of the, better performances I've seen from a quarterback this year and from a rookie ever. So he was just hitting every single throw with perfect timing, precision, reading the defense and just like picking them apart. So this was one of the best games I've seen in a long time from a quarterback. And it just couldn't have come at a better time for CJ Stroud, who was struggling before the Texans week seven by had a pretty non-productive box score against the saints. They did win that game. Then came out of the bye with a really surprising stink bomb against the Panthers. So it was just so great to see him have this game, reestablish momentum for his rookie season. And they, they had to have it. Yeah, they had 496 yards of offense. Only 53 of that was on the ground. So to win this game, the Texans had to have this performance from C.J. Stroud, and they got it. And, yeah, he's continuing to look like a special young player. Did you see anything interesting on the Bucks side of the ball? I mean, 
they were they were trading blows with CJ Stroud and the, the Texans. They didn't have nearly as many yards. How did they hang around so much? Because yeah, they only had 81 yards rushing, only had 251 yards net passing. How, how were the Bucks even in this game? I mean, Baker, he's done this pretty well this season as a whole. He's not taking mistakes. He's not doing the iconic like stares down linebacker throws right at his numbers. Like he's done. Both he's at career lows in interception rate. I think he's around a career low in sack rate. And we saw that again. He only took two sacks, no interceptions. He's game managing with the best of them, getting his players the ball with the best of them. And I think part of that is like an evolution of his style of play, essentially. Maybe sort of having a realization that he can't even hang around the league as a backup if he keeps making these egregious mistakes. And he has corrected that in his game to a stunning degree because I think for a lot of quarterbacks, we see... They at some point they are who they are. They they solidify themselves as this is the style of play. The James Winston. We we knew what he was from the first moment we saw him, and that almost never changed. Baker is changing his stripes a little bit because he had a little bit of that crazy like James Winston play style. So they just aren't making mistakes on offense. And when you aren't making mistakes, but you're also delivering the ball to Mike Evans, to Chris Godwin, apparently to Kate Otten, and you're getting them the ball in space, it tends to work out. So I think they're sort of a tight distribution offense where I don't think they'll really have many implosions unless teams start to figure out Baker, but I think he's just frankly playing some of the better football he's played. I also don't know if the way they play is conducive to getting in a ton of these we score 37 points type games. This one really brought it out of them. Shad White looked fine, still averaged less than four yards per carry, but it was a decent outing for him, and he finally paired goal line production. He's been the, the three down back for them with his pretty i mean pretty good really good receiving production that's how you get like top five fantasy numbers i'm not sure if he's a two touchdown back very often but it is nice to see him get there on all phases yeah baker is having i think his best season since that 2020 browns playoff kind of magical year and like not trying to damn with faint praise but the fact that baker is keeping mike evans relevant he's keeping rashad white relevant Doing sort of keeping Chris Godwin relevant. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Godwin's legs might be gone, man. Like, he came back really fast from that torn ACL. He's been hurt a lot. He seemed like someone who just maybe did himself a disservice by coming back so quickly and just has not been the same since that ACL. Yeah, he's on pace for just shy of a thousand yards. Mike Evans is putting a lot of distance between him in terms of usage. I haven't checked this year, but I know last year he ranked pretty poorly in like the the 538 or the ESPN's open metrics, which is just a, a player's ability to get open on a given route. Like you said, he came back pretty quickly from that injury. It's possible that he is... I don't say on on the Juju Smith-Schuster trajectory, but in some sense, all players are on that trajectory. It's just aging. It just happens in different phases for different players. And for me, it looks like Mike Evans is sort of in the phase of his career where he's very clearly his team's number two receiver, and it's not much of a 1B like it used to be with Evans. Yeah, it's a shame. But uh, Bucks get the non-concerning Titans matchup in Week 10. The Texans, it's going to be hard to follow up. The four seventy and five. They have the Bengals defense, uh, who, who never like they aren't like popping still in like a lot of the rate stats, but a very very good overall defense. I alluded to the so the listeners uh, don't uh, yell at us for forgetting this. I alluded to the kicker situation. Kaimi Fairbairn uh, like tweaked his quad in the first half, and Dario Gunbawale served as the uh, kickoff specialist, I guess, and kicked a field goal. He notched a field goal between the uprights. They ran. Uh, Two-point conversions for all of their PATs. I, I think all of their PATs came after Fairbairn got hurt, but they did give him a chance to um, to kick a field goal as a short one. 
And they did it. He actually got a field goal. Special teams ace fills in as a special teamer. It's like the first uh, non-kicker field goal, I think, since like, oh, like five or six for like Wes Welker or something crazy. So Jeff Heath, I think maybe attempted one at one point, but he did not make it. Uh, that was a totally deranged decision to attempt that field goal with Daria Gumbawale. Uh, but yeah, that, that was one of the more magical moments. It was so fun. Game. That was amazing. Not many magical moments in the Ravens and Seahawks. 37-3 beatdown from the Ravens of the Seahawks in Baltimore. Geno Smith, once again, more turnovers than touchdowns. He had an interception. He had a lost fumble. Over his past four starts, he has eight giveaways, only four scores. He was under siege, four sacks for 34 yards, uh, but he wasn't making plays, so it made it easy for the Ravens to remain like get-after-the-quarterback mode. Just a totally lopsided game. Uh, the Ravens, not a super explosive in like the fantasy department, but 41 carries for 298 yards and three touchdowns. Two of those were Gus Edwards. He only had five carries. Keaton Mitchell, though, the undrafted rookie, finally popped up. Nine carries, 138 yards and a touchdown. Kind of Devin A. Chan-ish. Chan 40-yard score, 60-yard carry. Uh, Mark Andrews got home. I just kind of laid at laid it out, but what would you like to know about this game, Kyle? Uh, I, I want to I want to do a because uh, on the Thursday preview show, listeners remember, I believe the Ravens scored thirty something points last week, and you said, "Why aren't they scoring points? Why aren't they scoring points?" And I said, "Hey, they scoring Pat, points." I, I said, "Hey, Pat, they literally scored thirty something points. It just didn't come from Lamar Jackson." But me now being in a position where this week I needed some fantasy points, financially speaking, from Lamar Jackson. Why aren't they scoring points? And by that, I mean uh, this Lamar Jackson, 187 yards, uh, actually a good rushing game, 10 for 60. I assume it was just when the guy scores long touchdowns, what are you going to do as far as Keaton Mitchell scoring? Gus Edwards getting a ton of goal line work this season. And that's something that I think Lawrence Jackson actually pointed out is that every time they get inside the five, Lamar Jackson has read option and he's never kept it once in his career. He always gives it to his man. He commands a ton of respect and probably a strong linebacker's eyes. From a fantasy perspective, I would love him to keep at least one of these. But the box score for Lamar is just when the guys run the ball well, right? Yeah, and he is so giving on those read options. And so I think giving. both the Gus Edwards Edwards ones, I believe, a read option gives a four-yard touchdown in the second quarter, a three-yard touchdown in the second quarter. Lamar was playing really, really good football. Just the classic kind of like freak fantasy game where it didn't translate to anything in the box score. And yeah, I get 298 yards rushing. When your quarterback has 60 of those, you can say the quarterback is keying the rushing attack. And yeah, I would like to see him just keep one of those one of these days. But he's so good at not taking hits. He he has like such a good intuitive understanding of the game. For a dual threat, he might have the best sense of like when it's worth taking a hit and when it's not worth taking it. And the answer about when is it not worth taking a hit is almost always. And he's just so good and avoiding those hits, and it can make us cry in fantasy a little bit. But <laughs> yeah. As a passer, he stayed locked on to Mark Andrews, 9 for 80, scoreless. So uh, interesting here, Odell Beckham second on the team, 556 uh, with seven targets, which is also second on the team. Any, anything there? I saw there was a hilarious Odell Beckham fumble. There was a very, very bad loaf of bread. Oh, I forgot to mention his blurb. I have to go add that back. Uh, nice. A very, very touching tribute to LaShawn McCoy, where he caught the ball and immediately loaf of bread did it and really just seemed like he was announcing to the defense, I'm going to fumble this. Like he was dead set on fumbling the ball. 
Uh, but seven targets, a new season high. I believe 56 yards was a new season high for Odell Beckham. Five catches matched his season high. Uh, the touchdown was his first as a Raven. It is worth noting that the touchdown came in the fourth quarter with Lamar Jackson already on the bench. Tyler Huntley, uh, he put someone on skates in the end zone. It was a really good route. It was a really yeah. good throw from Tyler Huntley. But it seemed like the complaining worked. But I just <laughs> still don't really know how sticky it was. They play the Browns then. A really, really tough matchup in Week 10. Came at Zay Flowers' expense. One catch for 11 yards. Zay Flowers now under 20 yards each of the past two weeks. Maybe a little. He's losing some wide receiver three momentum. I'm heading in again to a really, really tough matchup with the Browns. Other side of the ball, not like a ton to talk about when your team puts up three points when Geno Smith throws for 157. I guess, did Geno, we talked about the CJ Stroud look as good as the, his great numbers. Did Geno look as bad as 157 at 5.6 per attempt with an interception, four sacks, obviously no touchdowns? Did things look as drastic? Because he's been on a bit of a slump now and going into Baltimore versus their defense obviously didn't help. Yeah, like I said, four touchdowns compared to eight giveaways over his past four starts. And there weren't a number of like really, really egregious Geno mistakes. Uh, the interception, he did let his eyes get red all the way. The fumble, I think this came in a totally collapsing pocket, but he, he couldn't make like his good, like crazy needle threading Geno throws because the, the pocket was seriously collapsing. It's like almost every play. And part of that was the Ravens got to a big early lead. They didn't have, they could just, they let, they let the pass rush roar basically. And it just did the whole game. And it, I, I didn't think from an eye test perspective, it was Geno's worst game of this slump, but it just seems like regression's coming pretty hard for him. And 11 sacks over the past three weeks, the sacks have just really, really ramped up, which was always like his Achilles heel back in his Jets days. And I don't know Do if it's know like a the- chicken or the egg, or if it's like bad protection, yeah. Or if it's just Gina like making his protection worse look worse than it actually is, which he did all the time with the Jets. Um, but it's it's I have a hard time like still trusting him as a QB two. But that being said, in week ten they get the Commanders, who have become a perpetual shootout machine, and it looks like maybe they can get the the Seahawks offense back on track in week ten. All right, one last thing uh, I gotta do this JSN. Three more catches than any other player on the team. JSN, 13 more yards than anyone else on the team. Only Tyler Lockett saw more targets. JSN saw seven. Lockett saw eight. What do you have to say about that, buddy? It was probably his best over. He, so he didn't score. He scored back-to-back weeks coming into this game. So didn't didn't get the touchdown, but uh, it was season high for yards, new career high for catches. He had a little bit of yak. He looked like spring year to me, too. I, I, I think... He, I'm sure he was not unex- – I'm sure he was explosive early in the season, but maybe it's the classic, like, he was just playing too slow. It seems like maybe he's, like, finally speeding up, getting more up to NFL speed. Because you've kind of seen it happening in real time. And it, 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 he looked – it was a decent box score. He looked like his box score. Uh, or did, it, he just seems like he's playing fat. Tyler Lockett's really banged up. DK Metcalf is not looking very explosive this year. He only had one catch. It was for 50 yards. I mean, he came up short on two different end zone targets. JSN, I think it is fair to say he is percolating, and he's percolating at the exact right time heading into a game against the Commanders. We'll touch really quickly on, we did not really get to see this Packers-Rams game, Kyle, but it's kind of an easy game to breeze through because <laughs> just like the Cardinals, not instructive. Brett Rippon's making a start. Now the Rams are heading on by. I bet Matthew Stafford, even though the Rams season is circling the drain, 
pretty sure Matthew Stafford will be back after the Rams week 10 by. So you can't really say anything about two for 48 for Cooper cup or three for 32 for Puka Nakua, Daryl Henderson, Royce Freeman, still just rotating touches. Uh, we're not even going to attempt any Rams takeaways because we just really shouldn't. The main thing for this game, they said they were going to cut Aaron Jones loose. Uh, 20 carries. Five, he hadn't even had 10 carries in a game. 20 for 73 only. A touchdown. Four catches for 26 yards. Are, are we are we rush returning Aaron Jones to like the RB1 ranks? Or is that too, uh, too much of an overreaction? I think the proper reaction is that he's clearly the focal point, probably not only of the rushing game, but of the offense, because when you have Jordan Love under center, maybe make someone else the focal point of the offense. He clearly out-touched, out-carried both of his backups, Manuel Wilson and A.J. Dillon. But do we expect them to trounce their opponents ever, really? Unless, I mean, there are a lot of backups playing in the NFL right now. Maybe they do get a chance to play another game where they get a shot at Danny DeVito, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But (laughs) assuming the next game they play and the next few games they play are relatively normal, the way Jordan Love has been playing, I don't think they're going to be in positions to give Aaron Jones 20 carries to rush as a team 38 times in total. That would be the bigger concern with me putting him back in the RB1 ranks is part of what we love about Aaron Jones is his utility in the red zone. Does that really matter much when Jordan Love is your quarterback? Less so. It still matters. So I'm I'm rushing him back to the top 15 or 16, somewhere in that range. But if we saw this usage on an Aaron Rodgers Green Bay offense in 2019, we'd be like, oh, shoot, he's back to a top five fantasy back because this usage plus that offense is touchdowns. It's explosive plays. In the context of this offense, those things are not nearly as present. Christian Watson, uh, dude, is just banged up. Real quick, Kyle, this – Aaron Jones, they do get the Steelers in week 10. Hopefully that game can remain close. He can maybe rack up touchdowns in that game. Gets immediately trickier against the Chargers in week 11. Yeah. Christian Watson, I believe you informed me, had three injuries. Is that what you were uh, Yeah, I, I had to pull him up again, but I believe it was like he, uh, head as in concussion, uh, like back and neck or something like that, or, or abdomen and neck or shoulder or hamstring or any one of the litany of injuries. I believe he returned because he had no catches through something like three quarters and then pulled down, I want to believe, a 37-yarder or something like that. But it's a struggle for him to stay on the field when he's on the field. Uh, it's I don't know at this point how healthy he is, if he's able to earn targets. Like I said, I don't know how often he's even going to be on the field the next time we see him. And most importantly, even when everything goes right, he goes out there, he gets all the targets, he gets all the air yards, they throw to him in the end zone. Jordan Love hasn't been able to connect with him. So I I was holding holding the candle up for him as a maybe wide receiver three type of player heading into this game because of how good his usage was and how adamant the team's usage was that he's our wide receiver one, he scores the touchdowns, he makes the long plays. Uh, I'm putting the thing on the candle and I'm dampening it out. I feel like it's maybe not happening. It's just not happening. It's really, really unfortunate, but kind of a confluence of events, including his just getting constantly banged up. But yeah, I think I will have him outside the top 36 for week 10. I will never have Kyle Dvorak outside the top 36. Check out his waiver wired column. We'll be going live early Monday. Kyle, thank you so much. Thank you. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com. 
T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Now welcome in Mr. Eric Samalski. I feel like I say this every week. I had a strange game. Colts 27, Panthers 13. There had been hope in Bryce Youngland coming off a yeah, best overall start. There had been some hype. There had been some hype. His best overall start, I would say, in week eight against the Texans, his first win in week eight over the Texans. Uh, it did not carry over against the no. not, not a great Colts defense. This is not a defense you're scared of, uh, but they posted a hellacious line against Bryce Young. Uh, three picks, not to steal your glory, but two of them pick sixes, mm-hmm. uh, four sacks. What did you see from Bryce Young? And were, were these struggles as acute as they appeared in this very, very bad box score? Yes. Um, as you know, <laughs> you've given me a lot of Cardinals games. Um, and Josh Downs. Uh, I had Josh the Cardinals Dobbs, today, by the way. Yeah, uh, Josh Dobbs has. Retribution. Josh Dobbs has played better quarterback than what we saw from from Bryce Young today, pretty pretty handily. Um, not only is this Colts defense not particularly good, they were without um, one of their starting cornerbacks, and they were without Zaire Franklin, who is the NFL's leading tackler. Um, and Bryce Young still, it was it was just a, a really poor effort. Um, you know, we chatted about it on the Slack. If if you go back and watch the interceptions. I think it pretty clearly points to the, a really big issue for him, which is um, his he can be just so immobile in the pocket for somebody who is actually mobile. Yes. Um, he, he sometimes on his dropbacks like walks back um, and then his feet are so flat footed. And when there's pressure in his face, he either will throw off the back foot or or throw totally flat footed. Um, and both of his early picks, the ones that were pick sixes, were essentially like, checkdowns like they were like screen passes and dump offs and hot routes that he was just way off on um and i thought you know the commentators did a good job of like kevin harlan was like he doesn't move a lot and and um i think we said it was trent green was like he's he's so calm back there um but he's not calm um he is he can be statuesque for somebody who also had 41 yards rushing and can clearly move so for me when i look at this is like i don't think this is a get rid of all your Bryce Young shares, trade him in dynasty. It's a mess. I think it's, he has, he has issues to work on. He's got some footwork issues to work on. He's got some, you know, throwing, uh, you know, some pocket presence issues to work on. And that's going to be in a problem in redraft leagues because those issues are hard to fix um, in a season. Right. So, yeah. So it's it's going to be inconsistent for him and then for his receivers. It's just a problem in Dynasty, too, because I think one of the selling points of Bryce Young, he was one of those guys who was maybe already, when you drafted him, he thought he was maybe close to a ceiling already, but that, like, the floor was so high that even if he wasn't going to be, like, a future Hall of Famer or something, like, he was never going to, like, embarrass the team. And mm-hmm. not that anyone expected glory for the 2023 Carolina Panthers, but sure, I think he's got yeah more deficiencies than we probably realized. And this, like a lot more room to grow than we were hoping to. And just, yeah, a lot, a lot of stuff he's got to work on. Yeah. And, the, and some of those deficiencies get covered up when you're playing for a dominant college team where like how many times was Bryce young really like 
had consistent pressure in his face week in and week out at Alabama, like never. I mean, it was, you know, every now and then. Um, And so, you know, those, those issues can kind of get overlooked, Um, you know, and, and listen, you're still going to start Adam Thielen. He didn't have a great game today. Um, five Did he not? I got him in a desperation trade. First yeah. week I was starting him and was really hoping the PPR scam would keep rolling. Yeah, and it did. Five, five catches, 29 yards. But, like, listen, this is a team that's going to be bad. They're going to be throwing. Brace Young is not going to be this bad every single week. Um, so, Phelan's usage is still elite. Um, and then I think it was pretty clear today that Jonathan Mingo is the wide receiver number two. I know Chark caught the touchdown, but it was like, a, you know, Bryce Young goes through five different reads and Chark was standing wide open in the flat and he finally saw him and threw it to him. But like Mingo played one less snap than Thielen, ran the exact same amount of routes as Thielen um, and DJ Chark only played nine more snaps than Terrace Marshall and only ran two more routes than Terrace Marshall. So, you know, again, inconsistency is going to be part of this wide receiver core, but I I think it's Mingo number two and Shark number three right now, which again, we talked about this last week, makes sense when you're on a team that's not really winning, like let the rookie wide receiver get out there and see what he can do. Really interesting stuff on Mingo's usage. And just speaking of Bryce and inconsistency and Thielen having a rare down day in the box score. It's a short week, but they do have an immediate bounce back opportunity on Thursday night against the Chicago Bears. Yes. Do not have a good defense. Panthers backfield. Miles Sanders popped up for more than he had last week, where I think mm-hmm. two touches, six carries for 39 yards, caught three passes. Uh, was ahead of Raheem Blackshear, but if I'm looking at the box score, I, I think that Chuba Hubbard is still the clear number one running back. Is that the case? Yeah. Chuba fumbled the ball. Um, it was recovered by the Panthers, so it wasn't a lost fumble. But we saw then Sanders started to get a little bit of work after that. Um, and then Chuba came back in. It wasn't like, you know, Sanders and now he ran with it. Um, but they did it, it opened the door enough, and Sanders actually had a little bit of juice today on his runs. Um, in the receiving game, you know, he only ran 11 routes and Hubbard ran 30 routes, but he had one fewer target. Um, and he was pretty good with the ball in his hands in space. I don't, I don't think this is a, this is still Chuba Hubbard's backfield at the moment, you know, but he wasn't electric either. He, you know, he had 10 carries for 40 yards when Sanders was really getting a lot of work. And then, Hubbard closed the game with six carries for 18 yards. Uh, it wasn't, you know, to, to round it out. So it wasn't really a dominant performance. So this is one of those things where, like, I'm not cutting Miles Sanders. I think he needs to stay on your bench because if Hubbard Hubbard is not, like, closing the door on Miles Sanders getting this job back, and if Miles Sanders keeps getting these little opportunities here and there and looks good, he did look objectively good today, then it may just turn into a muddy gross timeshare situation, but I, I think he warrants being on rosters outside of like super shallow leagues. The other backfield, Jonathan Taylor, season high, I believe, 18 carries matched his season high. Uh only 47 yards. He caught five passes for 22 yards, got in the end zone. He didn't get totally mothballed in the second half, but from afar it did seem like strange second half usage again. What is still going on with Jonathan Taylor? Are we concerned? Are we encouraged? What are we saying about Jonathan Taylor? I think we're encouraged. I mean, listen, this is a game where the Panthers were not in the game. Like, you know, they were down 20 points the majority of the game, and they won the time of possession. Um, 
And and that's kind of why Jonathan Taylor didn't put up big second half stats is he had four carries for negative one yards in the second half um, because the Colts were scoring touchdowns on defense. The Panthers touchdown drive of their own was so long. The Colts offense just wasn't really on the field. And it was pretty clear when they were on the field, they were going to try to run out a two, three score lead. So Jonathan Taylor was met at the line of scrimmage every time he touched the ball, which again was only four times in the second half. Um, listen, he he looked solid. Like you know, his touchdown catch was really nice. He juked a, f- a few defenders in the open field. He kept you know his balance and dove into the end zone when his knee looked like it should have been down at like the two. Like he he you know looked like good Jonathan Taylor, but not running behind the old Colts offensive line that we were used to, which was like one of the best in the league. Um, I think he has distanced himself from from Zach Moss. Um, I think that that's pretty clear now. You know, Taylor had 18 carries. Moss had seven. Uh, Taylor had five targets in the passing game. Moss had zero. Um, but Moss is more than just like a strict backup. Like he's going to rotate in on some series. He was in on some red zone plays. He didn't. You know, nothing happened there. But he but he's still going to be a, a little bit of a thorn. It's just I think it's now like 75, 25 type of situation. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, Jonathan Taylor, just uh, the, the, you made an obvious point that I should have thought of. Those two pick sixes did not help in the second half run game. I mean, for Jonathan no. Taylor, <laughs> the, the, the Colts threw they had 26 dropbacks. They ran 57 total plays in this game. They gained under 200 yards. And they scored 27 points. I mean, it's just a weird, you kind of have to throw the offensive usage out here because it just was a game where their offense was barely on the field and really didn't need to do much of anything. So to put a bow on the Colts and this game, you mentioned Josh Downs injured. What is it? How serious does it look? So um, Downs was battling a knee injury coming into the week, had, had been limited and missed some practices, and he left in the second quarter with a knee injury and then didn't come back. As of right now when we're recording, there's still no indication of if he aggravated the knee injury or if he was just unable to play through the knee injury. So it is something that we're going to, you know, we should keep an eye on. Um, you know, knee injuries for wide receivers tend to never be like quick fixes. Um, yeah. Obviously, he tried to start this game and couldn't get through a half of it. Uh, if he were to miss time, obviously it's the the Colts passing game has really just been you know Michael Pittman at the top. It will be even more Michael Pittman, um, and really, even though he caught zero passes today, it would be Alec Pierce. Alec Pierce played the most snaps of any Colts wide receiver. Alec Pierce ran the second most routes of any Colts wide receiver, one fewer than Michael Pittman. He just saw two targets, but he's going to be the second wide receiver on this team if Josh Downs misses time and for as long as Josh Downs does miss time. So just keep an eye on those practice reports. And I think if you're in a deep league, I wouldn't go like running out and grabbing Alec Pierce in shallow leagues because I don't think this this passing attack is going to be that great, but he will. he is on the field a lot. If I injure my knee, the one thing I can't wait to do is fly to Germany to play the New England Patriots, which is what Did, the Colts are doing this week. Didn't uh, I don't know a lot of uh, athletes go to Germany for like the platelet injections? They do they, actually. I, I joke about that on the yeah. podcast sometimes. They go to get didn't Kobe do it like for his knees in yes. Germany. So listen, I think maybe Andrew Luck perfect. did maybe. Yeah, you go get those yeah. mysterious German stem cells. It's the perfect time for Josh Downs to <laughs> go to Germany. <laughs> I had not thought of that. Uh, Eric, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Pat. 
You're now joined by Mr. Lawrence Jackson, who had kind of the narrative game of the week. No more Josh McDaniels for the Raiders. The Raiders are happy now. And then the Giants desperately trying to get their season on track, get their quarterback back, Lawrence, and then they lose him immediately. A non-contact injury for Daniel Jones. Didn't look great. Initial report's not sounding too great. They might be worse by the time you're listening to this podcast. Uh, I mean, I kind of stole your thunder there, but w- what happened with Daniel Jones? And what does it mean for the Giants going forward? Uh, you know, um, it wasn't good for them as a whole, as an offense uh, to begin with. Uh, Jones started out 4-9 for 25 yards. Uh, Raiders defense getting the pressure on there early. Um, early there in the game, his knee buckled. I think he said that to Saquon once he uh, got on the sideline. Uh, yeah, he's just standing in the pocket. His knee kind of like, I don't know, it, lit- it literally buckled. He went to the ground. He tried to get back up real quick, but then immediately uh, went back down to the knee and, uh, you know, enter rookie Tommy DeVito, um, who got off to – a really shaky start, throwing the two interceptions really quick. Um, he settled in a little later. Um, ended up in, ended up finding Wandale Robinson in the fourth quarter for the touchdown. He found some wide open receivers here and there. At first, he just looked a little skittish in the pocket and just looking to run immediately. But he was able to hit some open receivers. Uh, you know, here and there ended with the 175 passing yards, but really there was only, you know, one bright spot on the offense, obviously, and that was Saquon Barkley. Receivers, you know how that goes for the Giants. Darius Slayton, you know, he led them with 59 yards, but that's always been the story with these Giants receivers here in uh, recent seasons. Uh, Daniel Bellinger filling in for – Darren Waller, he did that admirably, but uh, 43 yards, it was okay. Nothing to really scream about in the Giants passing game. Most of that came when the Raiders already had the game out of reach. I mean, it was 24 zip at the half, but Saquon, efficient rushing day. It was his most efficient uh, rushing day of the season with the uh, 16 carries going for 90 yards. So he found some creases here and there. They got near the goal line uh, I maybe one time or two times. Wasn't able to cash in on the touchdown, but he still went over the uh, 100 yards of total, total scrimmage yards. He was able to get over 100. So that was about it for the Giants offense. The Raiders had their number from the beginning. Man, and you said Saquon Barkley has been the only bright spot for this offense and so many bad game scripts. Uh, he's over 100 yards from scrimmage in three straight games. He's hit at least 98 yards from scrimmage in all four games since returning from his injury. And yet this has been against really good defenses like the Bills and the Jets. And the Bills a little shaky this year. And then Sunday, yeah, a game that was 27 to nothing entering the third quarter. So yeah. Saquon's earning his paycheck this year. Uh, the rest of the Giants, I mean, DeVito, like you mentioned, they they, they actually let him throw a little bit this week. They yeah, they, uh, they, they, they didn't have a choice because, you know, last week against the Jets, it was kind of like it was near the end of the 
No, no, it wasn't near the end of the game. But it was like you had to do something. You couldn't just do what you done last week. No. Like once they got into overtime last week and he threw three passes behind the line to Saquon Barkley, like you had to try to do something. He uses mobility a little bit to – you know, escape the pocket and find some receivers here and there. But it they're going to have to let him throw because right now he's their quarterback. They signed Matt Barkley to the practice squad, and he, he'll probably be on the active roster and at some point may even get some reps. So it is a extremely – it was scary. It's bleak. Science. Without injuries. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's becoming like an historically bad season now. And yeah, it's it, it's almost it's crazy that they even have two wins on a record. It is. <laughs> and Lawrence, do you, do you know if, I know I know the answer. Do you know off the top of your head where they where, where they play in week 10? Yeah, at, at Dallas. So yes. that's so, uh, prayers up. Or yeah. either either um, Tommy Danny DeVito or Matt Barkley, maybe the Clayton Tune Matt Barkley just throw him out there as like a sacrificial lamb, and then go back to DeVito in Week Eleven against the Commanders. But you know, there is no hope in this Giants passing offense, and now you're just hoping they keep it on the rails enough to get Saquon like his twenty touches. Yeah, and it's tough because you're not. You know, you're not selling Saquon and fantasy because everybody will be hip to your game right there. (laughs) You know, so so you just kind of got to you got to stick with him. It's tough to imagine he'll have days like 90 yards on only 16 carries. But once things for certain, they are not scared to just let him dominate the touches. The previous two games, he had over 30 touches in each of those games. So. They're not shy about that. Uh, I hope he's prepared to get ran into the ground. <laughs> he, he is. He's a running back. I guess that's the job assignment. Yeah. Uh, the other side, Ironically, of he's the one that, you know, is not paid on that I offense. I know. I, he, at least he's got the high one-year salary, but he deserved a long-term deal, and he didn't get it. And yeah, now he's using up bullets in a totally lost season. There's just absolutely no justice yeah. in the running back position. They should have traded him. They should have. I, man, there were so many trades that should have been made last week. These NFL yeah. teams are just petrified. Of one, one, a guy we'll talk about on the other side of this game. We will. And so, yeah, what did you see from the young man, Aiden O'Connell? How did Devonta Adams still have only four catches for 34 yards? What do well, we see from the Raiders? He didn't get his first target until what was it late in the second quarter maybe third quarter Aiden O'Connell himself he was solid uh he managed the game well didn't make any mistakes Josh Allen I'm sorry Josh Jacobs pretty much punished the Giants defense he didn't have a high uh average yards per carry but every run was just wearing down the Giants and always falling forward Never losing yards, always, you know, always getting the extra few couple of yards. Easily ran in those those two touchdowns. Um, it was a it was a Josh Jacobs day and uh Aiden O'Connell assignment was simple. Hit hit the throws that you're supposed to make. He hit a nice deep ball, 50 yard deep ball there to uh Trey Tucker, who kind of dove for the catch and yeah, Devontae Adams, despite, you know, having the measly little 34 
receiving yards, he was happy. You know, he was he was happy about the win. So, um, you know, he's, I don't know what to do with him in fantasy. It's getting tough because these games where he – this I think this is game five where he hasn't reached uh, 60 receiving yards. Now, the last time Aiden O'Connor started, Devontae Adams got 13 targets, caught eight of those <clears throat> for 75 yards. It completely flipped flip another script here. Not even Jacoby Myers was able to get, get it going. He just was able to salvage his day with a 17-yard touchdown run. But I don't think anybody was starting him either. People were starting Devontae Adams, who, again, yeah, you know, the Raiders are, uh, what, four and five now? They are somehow. It, yeah, that's that almost seems like overachieving. But, you know, that was against the Giants. They'll face a tougher test next week uh, against the Jets defense for sure. Yeah, that's going to be gut check time for Aiden O'Connell. And it was weird. He just played like super good point guard, basically. Completed passes. Yeah, yeah, he was all right out there. Eight different receivers, six of them caught at least two balls, but no one caught more than four. Like I don't even know what the heck to tell people what to do with Devontae Adams. Who now has to deal with like Sauce Gardner. Not maybe it won't be like a full-on shadow situation, but uh Hunter Renfro made a you know, he made an appearance. It seems like it's the first time he played in three years, even though <laughs> he's <laughs> he's been around, you know. He's been he's around, been, yeah. But, just, but, he's, but like I said, no one was really getting off in that offense. Uh, again, Trey Tucker led the team in receiving with 52 yards, and 50 of those came on that one play. So it was just like, don't make no mistakes. The Giants will make plenty enough for you, yes. for, you for you to be able to get through this game uh, with a win. They, again, they scored – 24 in the first half and they didn't have to do much in the second hell they tied with the giants in the second half so there you go there you yeah, go building block there yeah uh, for the giants um so yeah it's gonna be hard to get any momentum with the jets then at the dolphins versus the chiefs three really good defenses in a row but the raiders could win those games so i get the feeling it's been kind of station to station and Devonta adams this is looking like a lost year it's real real yeah. shame should have been dealt um, we will never trade you, Lawrence. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We will catch you later. All right. We are now joined by Aditya Foldiore, who I feel like I'm giving the Bears games every week. He says it's only been twice, though. Bears were surprisingly spunky in this one, but succumbed late. Saints 24, Bears 17. Tyson Bagent, kind of like turnover barrage. He had 70 yards rushing, which I had no idea. As I just looked at this box score, Aditya. But we'll start with the Saints, where the first thing that popped up to me, Chris Olave finally getting a touchdown. The targets were almost down for him. I think he'd been double-digit targets almost every week like the past month. He was only an eight in this game. Uh, good game from Chris Olave, mediocre game, lucky game. Uh, what did we see from Chris Olave, who's been really giving fantasy managers fits mm -hmm. of late? Yeah, it was mostly the Saints tried to get Olave involved early. He got the first target of the game, and he also got the touchdown from Derek Carr early on. Um, second half, he wasn't involved as much. He had a third down drop in the third quarter that stalled a, a Saints drive, but Olave was much more involved in the first half rather than the second half. It was more or less what we've seen from the Saints using Olave with Derek Carr at quarterback. 
not really a whole lot of downfield pushing the ball, but more they got him involved early, but not as much late. Yeah, well, they at least got him involved at all. Because mm-hmm. uh, him and Derek Carr yeah, have not seemed to be on the same page. They are not having a good time together, but got the tutter. <clears throat> we'll try to build from there. Uh, someone finally slowed down Alvin Kamara. I thought maybe it was going to be Jamal Williams popping up like 10 to 12 touches to try to take some of the load off Kamara. Instead, it was Taysom Hill, who led the Saints with 11 carries for 52 yards. Why? Uh, he threw for a touchdown. He caught uh, – Taysom Hill caught four balls for 13 yards and another touchdown. Yeah. The Taysom stuff has been sticky for a while now. It's not going away. What did you see from Taysom? What do we tell he was he was used a lot uh, out of the quarterback position. He took some snaps away from Derek Carr in that quarterback position. Um, he it was a lot of quarterback design runs for Taysom Hill, which is probably why he got to those eleven carries. Um, Alvin Kamara he only got na- nine carries for the game. Jamal Williams actually got the first two running back touches of the game. Alvin really? Kamara did not get a touch on the first drive of the game. So. Uh, Alvin Kamara, he, he did see those checkdowns that he usually does. Maybe not as many as PPR managers probably hope for, but four, four catches is about standard for his standard floor for what we'll see. But Taysom Hill was taking a lot of those uh, rushing touches away from Alvin Kamara, especially in the red zone. Uh, we saw a lot of direct snaps to Taysom Hill and him carrying it. So that was a big part of it. Yeah, I've been known to be a Taysom Hill complainer, but – the usage has been stickier, so he's been a little more predictable, and he's definitely been productive. I guess I can see why they're sticking with it. A team that's kind of scrounging for big plays, not that they don't have playmakers. Chris Olave is a playmaker. Rashid Shahid, of course, a playmaker. Alvin Kamara, a playmaker. But, but it is working. I mean, he's got the tight end eligibility. I don't really know how we can keep him out of the top ten at this point. I've been such a hater and like slow to adjust on Taysom Hill. but. He's just looking like a top 10 tight end, quote unquote, even though he's not a tight end. Uh, the whole thing is so, so ridiculous. But let's, I guess that's my Taysom, Taysom Hill. Anything else on the Saints before we move on to the Bears? Yeah, uh, Michael Thomas had one target, zero catches on the day. I I almost completely forgot he was even on, on the Saints <laughs> offense because I saw him once the entire game for a target, but not at all after that. So, Michael Thomas, he's I think he's gotten at least six targets in every other game, so he's not going to have any other games like this uh, probably, but um, just something of note that he got zero catches, but he'll probably be back to his 10 to 12 fantasy points next week. Yeah, you kind of alluded to it where there had been almost no difference between Michael Thomas's floor and ceiling, but he'd been hitting that floor every single week until this week. So it is interesting that it, the, the bottom kind of finally fell out for Michael Thomas, like something to mo- to monitor. I, guess, I mean, he's a wide receiver four. I don't know how closely we're really monitoring our wide receiver fours, but I guess something to monitor going for. When I look at this Bears box score, I see a lot of weird stuff. I see Deontay Foreman retaking control of the backfield pretty decisively from Roshan Johnson. I see two Tyson Bajant passing scores. I, I see four Tyson Bajant turnovers, including three picks. I see 70 Tyson Bajant uh, run rushing yards. Where do you think the best place to start is with this Bears offense? I guess we'd, we'd be remiss too if we didn't. Justin Fields could return on the short week, mm-hmm. week ten for Thursday night football. Yeah, starting with Tyson Bajan, first half he looked pretty solid. He did throw a pick that uh, led to a Saints touchdown, and his first touchdown was to Colt Komet, which 
actually probably should have been a pick, but Cole Komet made a fantastic catch to sort of steal that pick away and score the touchdown instead. But Tyson Bajan, he had 60 first-half rushing yards, so that was the bulk of his rushing wow. production. Um, the Saints were kind of just giving Bajan, like if he was able to get past the first tackler in the backfield, he was getting 10 yards. So uh, the Saints were giving it to him. Not not as much rushing in the second half, but his turnovers came uh, in bunches in the fourth quarter, two interceptions and a fumble on a sack to end it. Mm-hmm. So it was it was a little bit of a rough going as the Saints brought the pressure in the second half and the Offensive line also committed some penalties, but Tyson Bajant was uh, especially connected to Cole Komet. I I think I called Cole Komet the Mahomes or the Kelsey to Tyson Bajant's Mahomes. So he's gotten he's gotten 18 targets over the last two weeks with Tyson Bajant. So he's a tight end walker. You did. You did said it was the new Kelsey Mahomes to Kelsey connection in our Slack chat, and I did laugh then, and I laughed now again. And but it, it's, it's interesting. So. With Justin Fields, he seems like 50-50 for Thursday night against this really bad Carolina Panthers defense. And we've seen the Bajan-Komet connection. It has been quite real. But it'd be hard to say it'd be a bad thing for Cole Komet if Justin Fields came back. And DJ Moore, it seems like he has struggled to produce a Tyson Bajan. We're still gladly welcoming back Justin Fields as, the, as, our, as our Bears fantasy benefactor, yeah. correct? Yeah, for sure. He's... He's, uh, I wouldn't say as good for DJ Moore as Tyson Bajan has been, but he's more likely to target DJ Moore on a lot of these routes uh, that we saw today. DJ Moore got an end zone target and a deep target, but outside of that, there's just a few targets on crossing routes. And he also fumbled over the middle of the field in the third quarter, so that might have been like some oh, speed taken away from him. But Darnell Mooney was heavily involved for Tyson Bajan on a lot of the – slants, crossing, crossing routes, catch after run. So I'm not sure if that'll change with Justin Fields at quarterback. He didn't get a whole lot of run in the early part of the season. It seemed like they were trying to use him to get some chunk gains with the Saints uh, not covering the middle of the field as well, especially in the first half. But Darnell Mooney definitely got it running over DJ Moore today. If it was if it was Tyson Bajan on Thursday night against the Panthers, I mean, would you get weird and maybe say he's a QB2 streamer or is that just too – uh, too much action uh, there. The Panthers' defense isn't anything special, but I, I, I'm not saying that Tyson Bajan is a guy that you should start in two quarterback leagues or anything like that. Yeah, so just, just get back under center there, Justin Fields. Um, I say that someone who had to start Cole Komet in a lot of leagues, well, we need Justin Fields back. DJ Moore really needs Justin Fields back. So, DJ, would you say we put a bow in this game? Yeah, uh, just just to cap it off, I want to point out uh, Deontay Foreman, like you said, did lead the backfield uh, pretty mightily at 20 carries. He didn't get any run in the passing game, but Darrington Evans got a couple of receptions. Roshan Johnson only had two carries, and Roshan Johnson was the third running back in. Darrington Evans was second. So that could be something to note, but I feel like it'll be Darrington Evans coming out when Khalil Herbert comes back in because Roshan is the rookie draft pick there. But it doesn't seem like Roshan's going to make a dent in this backfield anytime soon, at least not until uh, Khalil Herbert comes back, and then we'll see how that impacts Deontay Foreman's role in that backfield. Yeah, Roshan just hasn't had the juice. Like, I think Khalil Herbert might be eligible to return this week, so that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Keep it locked to rotoworld.com for updates on that. So, Aditya, 
Um, thank you so much. I'll try to not give you another Bears. Well, you won't have the Bears. I'll have the Bears this week. I'll be doing the Thursday night game. So you will not have the Chicago Bears in week 10. All right. All right. Thank you, Aditya. Thank you. We are now joined by Mr. Zach Kruger. He was going to talk to us about the Commanders' 20-17 to 17 victory over the Patriots. Kind of a back-and-forth game, a down-to-the-wire game. We're just going to start with Sam Howell. Where he was already attempting over 40 passes every game. But when the Commanders gave up on the season, traded away their two defensive line stalwarts to the deadline, I'm like, Zach, I am budgeting 45 to 50 Sam Howell attempts every single week. We got 45 against Bill Belichick's Patriots, 325 yards, only one touchdown, but five carries for 27 yards, quote, only three sacks. To me, this looks like a good Sam Howell box score. The reality match of this box score for the most part, I would say it really was a good Sam Howell box score. It, it was another week where he didn't eat a ton of sacks in this game. He he had he took three sacks this week. I think he's still on pace for like ninety three. So uh, he he's chipping away at that number, trying to get it below you know the NFL record seventy six. But uh, he by all accounts did not take a lot of sacks in this one. Three hundred twenty five yards, one touchdown, one interception. How continues to look, in my opinion, at least relatively poised accurate on most of his attempts he had one goof late in this first half uh as as the team was driving they were already in field goal range and he just kind of rolled out to his right tried to make something that wasn't there and threw an interception to walk away with zero points to to kind of really end uh a drive that at one point in time was on a high note he converted a third down and 23 with a 24 yard scramble just to keep that drive alive so then the throw pick kind of took the air out of the out of the momentum a little bit and then the Patriots start with the ball in the second half. So the, the commanders kind of had to overcome a, a pour into the first half and then and then really rebound in the second half to eventually regain the lead after trailing 14 to halftime. But I thought Hal looked good. Uh, he continues to look on point. He continues to spread the ball around. I also think that over the last couple of weeks, I, I would say the last two weeks now, as it coincides with how taking fewer sacks, the the Eric Bieniemy offense overall has looked a lot better and a lot different, a lot more um, short yardage game, a lot more outs where you have available receivers and uh, tight ends and running backs around the line of scrimmage who are available to dump the ball down to. So Hal isn't constantly looking downfield for something to develop and and result and as a result when they don't, he's taking all these sacks. I, I feel like Bieniemy has finally found ways to give him outs in the passing game. And everybody on the offense is benefiting from a whole, including how on top of that um, one player who I wanted to just point out, we can go over some other ones, but uh, over the last two games, the sacks are going down. The checkdowns are kind of increasing a little bit. And Antonio Gibson has seen five targets in each of the last two games. He's caught all 10 of those targets combined. He had a season high 11 opportunities in this game. I thought he looked like the more efficient back, both on the ground and through the air when comparing him to Brian Robinson. Gibson averaged 6.9 yards per touch on the day. For a guy who we were probably dropping a few weeks ago, we, we can't exactly start him in PPR leagues yet, but I would say it's not in to- in completely over uh, for Gibson yet as far as if, if something were to happen to Brian Robinson I think there's some usability that still exists we had another game where it was no Chris Rodriguez in this one so uh, Antonio Gibson kind of benefiting from an improved passing game just a tiny bit interesting so Gibson worth mentioning I would say Jahan Dodson's worth mentioning who had the, yeah. the really low moment in week seven he was visibly upset on the field the box score doesn't like blow the doors off today but four of eight in the t- catches and targets department, 69 yards. He scored for the second straight week. I mean, we know everyone has been, including Antonio Gibson, is benefiting from this insane commander's pass volume. But has Jahan Dotson maybe stabilized? Is like 
a low end wide receiver three, maybe high end wide receiver four. Yeah, so I wrote up on his blurb. I wrote I wrote that he'd be a fringe wide receiver two, wide receiver three in week ten against the Seahawks. After that week seven game against the Falcons, where he saw just one target, Jahan Johnson has now seen eight. 10 and eight targets, uh, which is, I mean, we we're, we're chasing receivers like who we hope to see that all off season and draft. So the volume has been there for Dotson four catches on eight targets for 69 yards and a touchdown in this one. His two catches came on or, or the majority of his yards came on two really big catches, including a 33 yard touchdown. He also had a 24 yard reception on a few drives before that, but the target volume is there for him. This is an offense, as you just mentioned. We're usually locking Hal in at this point in time for 40 to 45 dropbacks um, or, or attempts every game. So I, I would say that as far as, you know, wide receivers go, the volume has now been consistent for Dotson for three straight weeks. He scored in two of those weeks. And I, th- I think what was a little bit of a squeaky wheel after the week seven game has, has definitely started to get the, uh, is it the oil? You're, you're, you're better at this than I am. The squeaky wheel does get the oil. The squeaky wheel gets the oil and uh, he's been getting it for the last two weeks. So Dotson, I really like setting I think maybe squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think yeah. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm brushing up on some of these boomer sayings. So. I know a lot of idioms. I know some idioms, but it's easy then to combine idioms though. Um, yeah yeah and, and then mclaurin just real quick on him five of seven uh receiving for 73 yards another case where he had two big catches that literally came on back-to-back plays which accounted for 62 of his 73 receiving yards so a pretty quiet day for mclaurin uh, but those two big catches did kind of save it he also had a would-be touchdown that was broken up early in the game uh, on a deep pass where it was just kind of the ball was in his hands possibly even a little bit of pass interference if you really want to get nitpicky about it. But uh, a, a potentially bigger day for McLaurin was was indeed knocked out of his hands on that play, but he still kind of salvaged it with two big passes in the second half. Um, yeah, I mean, it, the, this offense is kind of fun when Sam Howe's getting the ball out, and there's a lot of uh, fantasy viable assets, so I think it continued to benefit from it. The biggest question mark, I think, is going to consistently be Brian Robinson, who isn't the most efficient ball carrier. He did see, I think it was 18 carries for like 63 yards on the ground in this one. He managed to score a touchdown, but when Brian Robinson's not scoring, I think the passing game um, work that seems to be going more to Gibson is only going to hurt him since that was kind of carrying some of his week-to-week upside earlier on. The Patriots side of the ball, not quite as much to talk about. Really good job breaking down the commander side of the ball. Demario Douglas, we, he was a hot waiver wire ad. Even though we knew like it's not like the ceiling was that high, he basically repeated his week eight box score. Five catches, seven targets in the 50s. Juju Smith-Schuster popped up for his best box score of the year, and you want to know how much he's been struggling. His best box score, six catches for 51 yards. What did we see from the Patriots pass catchers? Is there any room to grow with Demario Douglas and Juju Smith-Schuster? Or is there just no ceiling at all in this Mac Jones-led offense? I feel like between the just who they are as players right now, like like Douglas is a fun player. He's he can he looks explosive with the ball in his hand. He does a good job at creating after the catch. But the Patriots' offense as a whole is just not good. And I think the combination between. Douglas being, you know, a, a, a fun player with the ball in his hands, but not exactly an elite receiver. And then Mac Jones not being the best of passers. And, and probably even the overall offensive scheming as a whole is just not elite for, for there to be like weekly upside with these receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster is still the receiver who I'm unquestionably out on at this point in time. Still a lot of short area targets, not, not at the most explosiveness out of him. Uh, Douglas, I thought, looked good when he did get his opportunity he had a really nice catch in the fourth quarter as they were trying to mount the comeback 
Um, so, so I did like Douglas as far as like if you're playing in a in a league where you have a couple receivers on by, you're maybe looking for that wide receiver three, wide receiver four in a deeper context. I think Douglas does have some value there, especially off of back to back weeks now. And on top of that, Douglas was actually seeing targets fairly early for a six round rookie. In week one, he actually had seven targets. Uh, the mainstream media does not talk about that, but <laughs> Douglas, the, but Douglas has been fed more targets than I think we perceived prior to last week. So I think Douglas has some some low end upside. As kind of that uh, that that guy who's you know twitchy, he's quick with the ball in his hands, and, and Mac Jones clearly likes him. He was his first target on the day, uh, but Jones himself not good on this one. Uh, Two hundred twenty yards, one touchdown, one interception, which actually came on a drop Juju Smith Schuster ball as they were trying to mount the comeback it popped straight up in the air uh the commanders intercepted to end the drive um and, and again juju just not looking explosive enough for me to really want to get two in on at this point in time not much else to say about the patriots reminder stevenson did have a season high 129 yards for scrimmage he did this even though he failed to he, he hasn't had more than 10 carries in over five games he's had five straight games of 10 or fewer carries this was fueled by a 64 yard touchdown run this seems like really not much else to talk about the Patriots. It's not a good offense, not enough touches, not enough upside. It, it, it really is. It's not enough touches, not enough upside. Um, that's actually a great stat on Stevenson, not getting uh, t- more than 10 carries in a game. You, you should consider doing this football stuff a little bit more, Pat. You're pretty, you're pretty good at it. But um, it was interesting. I looked after the game, and I, I saw that the Patriots' as an offense averaged 5.2 uh, yards per play, which isn't atrocious. The commanders were at 5.6. But on the drive where Stevenson had the 64-yard rush touchdown, there was also a 20-yard Juju Smith-Schuster reception before that. If you factor out those two plays alone, the Patriots' uh, yards per play drops all the way down to 3.9 on the day. It was not. <laughs> it was really. It was really not good. Uh, the, those two plays uh, on that one single drive, which were literally the only two plays on the drive, totaled 84 yards and really kind of juiced up their uh, their yards per play, which was otherwise very underwhelming for most of the day. Just not much here for these two and seven Patriots. Uh, there was a lot here for Zach Kruger. Really, really good stuff. We love our Sam Howell. I want Sam Howell to keep slinging it. I need Howell high, baby. Woo! I, I need Sam Howell to keep slinging it. Uh, you need to keep it locked to rotorworld.com. Zach Kruger's me on blurb grind and duty all Monday. Going to be a newsy day. A lot of injuries out there. A lot of usage situations Zach's going to remain on top of. So check that out. Check out all of our articles. Check out Kyle's waiver wired column dropping early Monday. And yeah, just thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Denny. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Eric. Thanks to Lawrence. Thanks to, to Aditya. And of course, Zach. So for the whole gang, I'm Patrick Darty. Thank you for listening. We'll be back later this week. Did you know Bridgestone developed a tire using 75% recycled and renewable materials? Making a difference today for future generations. That's what really matters. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. Visit whatreallymatters.com to learn more. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.